You're listening to the Lost Chill Podcast with Katie and Kimmy. For years now, I have had the pleasure of listening to the wit, banter, and pure joy from these two, and now I invite you to share in the delight of listening to them discuss the books they're currently reading. Whether you are a fellow dedicated bibliophile or simply wish you had more time to read, you will love hearing the insight and discussions around the stories they dive into. So grab a cup of coffee or pour a glass of wine and let's jump on in. Katie and Kimmy, take it away. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Lost Chill Podcast. I'm Katie. And I'm Kimmy. We are your magical hosts. Once again, Kimmy had another idea for a podcast episode. And I don't really know where we're going with it, but I'm sure here to enjoy the ride. I'm sorry. I just have a lot of things I wonder about. Okay? But let's not get ahead of ourselves quite yet. Katie... All of our listeners (laughs) and I are wondering, what have you been reading lately? I am actually continuing reading the second book of the Throne of Glass series by Sarah J. Moss. Normally, I don't like to continue a series straight through, but I don't know what my deal is with this series, but I'm kind of obsessed. I want to read Crescent City series next. And I am also gearing up for our next episode with some AC. AC in the hizzy. That's, of course, Agatha Christie. (laughs) Of course. Of course. I'm also reading Allie Hazelwood's newest novella, Under One Roof. This is a tale of enemies to lovers. And I know that we talked about tropes a lot this season, but I'm really learning what I like in the romance realm since I'm still so new to it. I don't really care for enemies to lovers. I haven't had that much experience with this trope, but it's really freaking annoying. Predictable and stupid. Isn't all romance kind of predictable? It is, but this is like, oh, I know that you guys hate each other and now you're going to fall in love. Like, I don't know. Whatever. I I also do not like enemies to lovers, but not because of the predictability, because I don't think there's an unpredictable trope in romance. <laughs> it just doesn't I guess happen. you're right with that. But I, I don't know. I find it more predictable. I don't know. <laughs> there was a foreshadowing part in Under One Roof where uh, the main character, the female main character, I can't remember her name right now, is talking to one of her friends who also had a situation where she hated somebody. And so the main character asked, well, what happened with them? And, oh, they're getting married next month. Okay, so we're going to foreshadow. So that's what I kind of mean by too predictable. I will say I kind of liked the On Honeymooners. I feel like that I was thought like, that was more forced together. It's both. It's, it's very both. Okay. hardcore both. Like they okay. hated each other. But Sounds like it's probably similar to this with being forced to live together. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So... I enjoyed that, but like that was the one part of it I didn't like because I don't feel like how you could hate someone so strongly and then it like switches. <laughs> I, yeah, maybe that's why it's I weird. find it just unrealistic, I guess, that you don't just hate Some, somebody. People like love that trope hard. Though. I know. I know. You've sent me several reels lately. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I do that. Something's wrong with me. So even though I, I'm not a big fan of the trope itself. I'm still really invested in the story and I want to see where it goes. Okay. So what about you? 
I just wrapped up Bright Ruined Things by Samantha Coho, which is supposed to be a retelling of Shakespeare's The Tempest. And well, I know absolutely nothing about that. (laughs) I'll admit, but I enjoyed this book. It had dark family secrets and fantastical wealth and lots of magic right up my alley. And it was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the one I finished today was Mickey 7 by Edward Ashton, and it was amazing. Think Project Hail Mary meets Echo Wife-ish. I don't know. I don't know. It was so good. I will be recommending it hardcore. I think at this point, I just need to admit I'm a sci-fi nerd. You are. <laughs> it's fine. Everything's fine. Uh, yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. Wear that badge of honor proudly. Oh, I shall. But the one I really loved that I just finished... <sighs> the Crown of Gilded Bones by Jennifer L. Armentrout. And call me Janice because, oh <laughs> my <laughs> God. But with more nasal. Yeah, you, you got to add some more nasal. I'm to sorry. That. It's okay. It has been so long since I've read this high quality of a fantasy series and I can't get over it. There is so much detail and world building in these books and they seriously just get better and better. All three of them. This was the third out of six. They've all been over 600 pages, but they're also so easy to read. I started this one and I like blinked and I was like, I'm already over 100 pages in. That's I love awesome. when that happens. Yes. So I love that. This third one, like I said, it was far and away the best so far, but wow. What a cliffhanger. <sighs> I don't, like, I'm not okay. I am unwell. Deceased. I don't know how people have been literally living with that ending for a whole year. <laughs> because I have to wait a month, and I don't think I'll survive. So, whew. I do want to eventually read other fantasy series, but I don't think I can cope with that until I read The War of Two Queens. Yeah, go for it. But it, it's weird that we've both been reading a lot of fantasy recently. And... I've said it in just about every episode recently, but Blood and Ash is high on my TBR. But first, I need Moss. Moss. <laughs> Sarah J. Moss. That's so adorable. Yeah, I try. Oh, man. I'm so glad. Fantasy is amazing. It is. And, and it's like when so, it's done right. And it's so easy to get like really wrapped up into yes. like more than other people, yes. I feel like. Yes. So that's fun. Yeah. So, this week's episode, I know you've been curious about it. Let's call it a study of author's work that I've wanted to do for a while. Would you stab me if I told you it was inspired by Taylor Swift? Yes. I'm kidding. (laughs) Are you? kidding. Are you? She could fit in the context of this episode, but I won't go there unless you want me to. Yeah? No. Oh. So, my idea for this started... The infinite number of times I've seen someone write a review and say, I can't believe this was a debut. And it's, it's so in weird In that voice? To me. In that voice. That's okay. how they write it I'm every just, time. Just asking for a friend. And it's weird to me because of that tone of voice, but also <laughs> that they never cease to be surprised that someone's first work is good. Yeah. And we've actually talked about this off the air several times. I don't know why readers, myself included are so baffled when a debut novel is good. I mean, even Stephen King had a debut novel. Carrie. Yeah. Well, he had yeah. a debut once? He did. What? I mean, 
47 years ago, but I mean, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Which, that book is still insanely popular. So everyone starts somewhere. Some authors become readers, auto-buy authors, and then some are just one-hit wonders, and all are okay. Yeah. Let's talk about some good debuts. The one that comes to mind probably every time is one of our combined favorite books mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Booley. Mm-hmm. Yep, we'll be recommending that book until we die. Truth. And it is well-deserved. It is just so good. The interesting thing about that debut specifically, though, is that Angeline Booley spent a decade writing it. Yep. Because she was working a full-time job and raising a family at the same time as writing, that's why she had to balance writing and working. We were lucky enough last summer that we were able to chat with her about how many years she poured into that glorious book. And you can always find that recording of the author chat on our website, thelostchill.com. Hashtag shameless plug. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Firekeeper's daughter couldn't get her full focus. I feel like 10 years is still a long time to pour your heart and soul into a book. So was it really surprising to you that it's so good? I feel like it could go either way. (laughs) Okay. I mean, just because you spend a long time writing it doesn't mean it's going to be good. You know what I mean? I guess. Her, her premise was fantastic in that book and just all of it was glorious and she hit it out of the park. Um, but I mean, like Colleen Hoover, Coho, Coho, the other Coho, cause one of your yes. authors is Coho. <laughs> that's, what I yeah. thought, that's what I think that's, every time I hear her name. Yeah. And that's why I was like, oh, I should probably specify, <laughs> but Coho wrote Verity in like what a month or something like that really yeah and i don't know if you you're the one i think that told me you have to be because it was in the acknowledgments um about how she apologized to all of the arc readers because there was so many typos and so many oh yeah do you remember that just so many um errors in that because she had written it so quickly so you can take 10 years to write an excellent book like Angeline Bully did with Firekeeper's Daughter, or you can write a book in a month and it still be a smash like Verity. I mean, which is the other thing though, because wasn't Coho a full-time writer at that time? I believe so. So if it's a newer book, me, like what, like are we even limiting it to 40 hours a week, like the normal full-time job work week yeah. and doing that in a month? Cause I could, I mean, I probably couldn't write Verity, but I could write a a, a novella. <laughs> I could write a story. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends I on mean, the author. I mean, look at my Valentine's Day poems. Those are fantastic. And those are written <laughs> the night before. So. The night before. Yeah. The, the pressure helps me. So. I know. I, I'm a pressure cooker as well. <laughs> <laughs> An instant pot. An instant pot, if you will. Um, no, I work way better under pressure and... Um, so, I mean, it, it just, I th- I feel like it depends on the, the author. It could, That's it true. could go either way. I almost feel like, so we both want to write books. We'll get there probably Yeah, eventually. But I almost feel like if Hopefully I. Hopefully before wearing wooden pajamas. I'm going to keep using that for a minute. <laughs> I feel like if I spent like 10 years like going back, because I wonder almost how much time she had taken with the first draft and then how much was polishing or like wanted to be added later you know what i mean yeah yeah um like what was the first like official run through how much was added how much was polished or taken out 
My thing is like looking back 10 years ago, I was a completely different person. And I don't know for me personally, if I could hold on because about 10 years ago, actually I started to write a book and I got pretty far into it. I got about 75% done, but now I've gone back and I've read it since. And I'm like, this is absolute fucking trash. And I was like, I cannot. Really? Because I, I wrote an actual movie script when I was in about sixth grade about getting stuck in the jungle with the Backstreet Boys. And I think <laughs> it was still fire. I don't know what you're talking about. Just kidding. That was garbage. <laughs> Absolute trash. <laughs> I wish I was kidding. <laughs> I thought that you were being serious about still thinking it's fire. And I'm like. I mean, uh, it was a rough draft. I never went back and edited it. So it probably could have been good had I worked on it a little harder. Because, yeah. I mean, what's wrong with that? Like, just synopsis I just gave you. Like, you wouldn't want to be It sounds like jungle. one of your dreams that you tell me just about every day. She has weird dreams. <laughs> like, really, really weird dreams. And I think. She needs to see somebody for her, baby. I don't know. Anyways, Anyways, back to debuts. Back to those books. What was the last debut you read that you enjoyed? Definitely Shadows of Pecan Hollow by Carolyn Frost. This book has been getting a lot of well-deserved attention lately. And for good reason. Someone had actually told me to avoid this one after... I posted that part of what I didn't like about Razorblade Tears was um, how it was a bunch of unsavory people doing unsavory things. So they said it was Shadows of Pecan Hollow also has people doing unsavory things. And I was like, I've already read it and I loved that one. To me, the main difference, though, is that I felt a lot more depth in Shadows of Pecan Hollow you were able to emphasize with the characters and see where they were coming from and understand why they made those choices. And to me, part of that is what makes books great. When you don't agree with their actions, maybe they're hanging out with people you would never talk to, but you can understand and still connect with them despite all of that. So that's absolutely what Shadows of Pecan Hollow did and why I think it's doing so well. So I completely agree. I haven't read Shadows of Pecan Hollow yet, um, but I did attempt to read Razorblade Tears and everything that you said, that's what makes books so beautiful. So you're able to see different places, situations, and people that you may not be accustomed to in your real life, and it's such an escape. But at the end of the day, in order to really connect to those characters whom you may not agree with their actions, much like in Razorblade Tears, you need to be able to relate in some way or to see the depth in their character. So you need to be able to see why they're doing it and what they're thinking. While we know why the men in Razorblade Tears were doing, were trying to avenge their son's deaths, I don't really feel like we got to see what exactly was going through their mind to justify they knew it was wrong, but they were playing vigilante at the same time. And granted, I didn't get extremely far into that book, but from what I did read it's like they didn't really care about the repercussions of their actions exactly and, and i need to I know felt, yeah yeah when i read books like i get characters having walls mm -hmm. 
But when I read a book, I want to be able to see past them. That is like my reader's privilege. Exactly. Like they can have walls up with the people that they're interacting with and the people that are in the book, but the walls need to come down for the reader. Exactly. So that the reader can see and what is going on. And I don't think that happened in Razorblade Tears. We I don't think saw so what anyone else would have seen yeah. who would have been getting their cakes tipped over in the wedding shop yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So so it's it, it's a very slippery slope. The it just needs to be broken down just enough to give a, a glimpse. So you can, you need to have connects. You need to be yeah. able to get through that wall enough to connect. Yeah. So, cause that's all that anybody's ever looking for in any sort of, uh, relationship conversation, book, movie, Correct. some way to connect to that, some way to make it relevant to your life. Yes. And that is what shadows of pecan hollow did so well. So I do hope you read that. Cause I want to hear what you think about it. Mm hmm. So, so since you haven't read that one, are there any recent debuts that have stood out in your mind? Yeah. Then made by Nita Prose. So she was already working in the book industry, but she wasn't an author herself at the time. And the idea for the maid struck her and she wrote it down on a napkin. Yeah. And now it's a New York Times bestseller. It's already being adapted into a film with Florence Pugh playing Molly and this book was also a Good Morning America book club pick. And this was her debut novel. Well, I re- when I read the arc, I went in blind as usual, and I could not devour this book fast enough. I think the only reason that I requested the arc was because we got an email from the publisher saying that we might be interested in it. I don't know if you remember that, but I don't know if I would have chosen it just by looking at the synopsis before seeing how much buzz it was getting. So I did kind of luck out in that regard, but it's it's also luck of the draw for the authors. Uh, I'm not sure if Nita Prose already being in the book world had anything to do with being chosen as a Good Morning America book club pick. You know, I don't know how much that has. I don't know if that would necessarily even have anything to do with it. I mean, who knows? Yeah. It depends on maybe even the publishing house or like what she was even doing. But I just read a book, a cute little romance called Meet Me in the Margins. Mm-hmm. And she worked at a publishing house, but like the little shtick in the book was that uh, her publishing house only wanted like the finest literature to shape culture and all that. And she was writing a romance novel. So oh. like it was. Could be completely different. Yeah. Yeah. So she was just going like, wow, I feel so bad for my authors now. This is scary and hard. And it's definitely a completely different ball game to put your work out there versus. Yeah. I should have been a book editor. Dude, I always think about like, how can I get into the book world? Uh, I would be a damn good book editor, but also that would be a lot of trash to read, I feel like. Yeah. Like you'd have to read all the free books that are on. Amazon or Kindle Unlimited, you know, that kind of shit. And that's stuff that like gets through. Imagine what doesn't right. even get out of the slush In pile. In the slush pile. Yeah. I was just about to say that. Hmm. So I honestly think that the thing about debuts is they're such a gamble. You have no prior works to see if you like the author's writing style, no familiarity with the tone of their books and so on. You're just going in blind pretty much. And it could go either way. A big thing with debuts, too, is I feel like 
people will compare them to other books from the get-go. That happens a lot with Shadows of Pecan Hollow. Oh, really? It what did it compare it to? Where the crawdads sing the oh. most. And even me, I got some We Begin at the End vibes. But it's like, it's hard because you just, that's a lot of pressure to put on a book, first of all. Yeah. But it's even like just one part, like, I specifically got Duchess vibes, not like the whole tone of the book vibes for We Begin at the End with Shadows of Pecan Hollow. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I can like see it and I feel like you're going off a lot on what the, how it's advertised, which I feel like can be riskier mm-hmm. with debuts or not necessarily match your expectations. I don't know. It's just new work. It's untested. There's no evidence to how much they've honed their craft but it's often fresh and exciting on the flip side. So Yeah. Yeah. It's a total crapshoot because I've read a lot of not so good debuts as well. I mean, it is what it is. So all this debut talk has been me laying the foundation to also talk about some established authors. Now, there are far too many for us to get into all of them in any great depth. So to start, I'll bring up two we are both pretty familiar with. Kristen Hanna and Taylor Jenkins Reid. I don't know who those people are. Um, they wrote some books. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they are actually who I like to refer to as my queens. Oh. Uh, so I'm also adding another queen to my list as of tonight. I'm just letting you know Sarah J. Moss. We're not going to lay in any of her books tonight, but this is just something that I need you to be aware of. Well, I see you're Sarah J. Moss, and I raise you a Jennifer L. Armitrout. <laughs> Perhaps one day we can devote an episode to them and call it The War of Two Queens. I like it. I kid, partially because that's the next book from Armitrout. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> but also, they're friends, and it's adorable. Are they really? Do you follow them both? I follow uh, Sarah J. Moss. So I you don't follow them both. I follow them both. Okay. Because I, I just do. So didn't Moss just have a book and a baby? Yes. And it was so cute because she was like, what weighs more? Yeah. So they love each other, but um, Jennifer Armantrout was just hyping her book and saying what she loved about it and being I didn't so know adorable. Oh, so, and their books are coming out a month apart. Yeah. So I just love it. I'm here for it. Queen supporting queens. Love I like it. it. I like it. Maybe we do need to have a, a, fantasy, a fantasy episode. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We were I, talking about it uh, earlier. We got a lot to read, though. Are you on your second series from Sarah J. Moss yeah. now? Did you finish the Akatar? two books left in Akatar. Yeah. It's just a lot but to get through to... That one of them is like teeny tiny, and then the next one is like... Bruh! That means okay. big. I think I have a novella to get me through from the Blood and Ash series, but I think it's just because there's so many. There is. So it's, and they're usually heftier... It's hard for us to like both get through one whole series and we just picked opposite ones for more coverage. I don't right. know. We'll have to work so it one out. One day. One day we'll yeah. give you guys a fantasy episode. We got some time. Yeah. Yeah. So back to the OG queens. Chris and Hannah and TJR. So am I correct that your current score is four Chris and Hannah's and three TJR's? Yep. I've read The Nightingale, Four Winds, The Great Alone, Firefight Lane. All by Chris and Hannah, and then The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, Daisy Jones and the Six, and Malibu Rising by TJR. Okay, I have read all of those. 
and then two more by each, oddly enough. <laughs> For Chris and Hannah, the two extra are The Night Road and Fly Away, which is the sequel to Firefly Lane. And then for TJR, I read One True Loves and After I Do. So let's start with Chris and Hannah. We are both honestly poor judges of her works because she has so many. She has 24 books total, and I believe her debut was published in 1991 called A Handful of Heaven, and it's actually out of print according to her website. We're very familiar with her three latest works, which are The Four Winds, The Great Alone, and The Nightingale. And then Firefly Lane was actually nine books ago, so if we're just counting that span of everything since Firefly Lane, I read six out of nine of those. So remind me again your ranking of Chris and Hannah books. Great Alone, Firefly Lane, Four Winds, and The Nightingale. Okay, I feel like that's pretty much a pattern of new old, new old. (laughs) You know, I freaking hated the four winds. Yes, I, I am aware. I feel like I was too nice in our episode even. I'm sorry. You broke my heart in that episode. How could you be too nice? I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like I was. You, you badgered the shit out of that book, except for Rose. So, I, yes, I admit I love parts of it. Rose deserves her own book. She is incredible. I love her, but I couldn't even with that ending, but I don't want to get into it. I will get too upset. I also didn't love, (laughs) stop it. I also didn't love The Great Alone as much as everyone else. Not that it was bad. I just found it like, okay. I loved some of her older works. And by older, I mean since Firefly Lane, that's all (laughs) I read. So my list of ranking would probably be Fly Away, Night Road, Firefly Lane, The Great Alone, and then The Four Winds. Hmm. What about The Nightingale? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) I need to reread that one because I remember freaking loving it when I first read it, but it's been a long time that I couldn't even tell you the basic synopsis at all. So I find it very interesting, though, because The Nightingale is probably what skyrocketed Chris and Hannah's popularity. And I listened last year when she was doing a virtual book tour for The Four Winds. She was saying how The Nightingale was really when she felt she found her stride and was realizing the type of author she wanted to be. So I find it interesting that you didn't love that one. And of course, I'm with everyone else, and that's probably the one that made me fall in love with her, but I haven't loved much since then. Yeah, I I don't know. But we're diverse like that. When I first got my Kindle... I had tried Kindle Unlimited and found The Great Alona on there. And I just loved that book so much. And I will recommend that book until I die as well. (laughs) I thought The Nightingale was okay. It just wasn't my favorite. But regardless of which book of it, which book it is of hers, the last 100 pages are always an ugly crying mess for me. So (laughs) feeling fiction. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, they're not an ugly crying mess for me. Sometimes they're just a ball of rage. And where did we go so wrong? I miss Rose. Anyways, you mentioned in the past that she's an auto-buy author for you. Will it just be her new stuff going forward? Are you going to explore her backlog? Well, there's definitely a lot of her backlog books that I want to read. But it's just a matter of when it comes down to time, as everything does. Night Road and Winter Garden are really high on my TBR for her backlog books. 
So what about you? Are you going to read her new stuff after how much you hated The Four Winds starring Rose? (laughs) (laughs) It should have starred Rose. Sorry. So yes, I do like her writing style. I do. Winter Garden's also high on my TBR. I will read her new stuff. But I will not all be surprised if I continue to like her backlog more than her new stuff. So we'll see. And that's completely fine. You do you, boo. I shall. Yeah. The only information that I could find out about any of new releases for Chris and Hannah was that The Nightingale was being re-released in paperback this year. Most likely, I assume this is just my assumption. I could not confirm it, but most likely in preparation for the movie adaptation starring Dakota Fanning. Other than that, it says to expect a new release in 2023. And if you recall back to our episode on The Four Winds, we broke it down that she now does a book every other year instead of yearly. Correct. So that would make sense since The Four Winds came out in 2021. All right. We're going to switch gears a little bit. Talk about some TJR. She has now officially announced a new book, which will be the fourth of her exploration of the fame universe. We start with Evelyn Hugo as an actress in the 50s and 60s, moved to Daisy Jones as a rock star in the 70s, and then we get to see Nina Riva as a model in the 80s. What do we know about the fourth installment? Pretty much that it's in the 90s. Woop woop. And it will explore an athlete. And it was just announced that it's titled Carrie Soto is Back with an expected release date of August 30th. And of course, she's a tennis star and it talks about the Olympics a lot. So Soto, that name sounds familiar. I can't yeah, remember. that's the bitch who stole Nina Riva's husband. Okay. All right. Who's a tennis star? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to find out what happens. So obviously there'll be Easter eggs. I love these connections. I feel like the last two are even more connected than the first two. Yeah. So Mick Riva was one of Evelyn Hugo's husbands. Daisy Jones partied and got trashed at one of Mick Riva's parties. (laughs) (laughs) Then Nina Riva was Mick Riva's daughter. And then, of course, Carrie Soto stole Nina Riva's husband. Yes. Okay. I think that part of what draws me to and makes me love TJR books so much is that I'm also fascinated by the world of celebrities and finding out the dirt behind the scenes. TJR explains that as the dichotomy of how there's always automatically two levels to every story when celebrities and fame is involved, where there's what everyone thinks is happening and what is actually happening. Yep. And like with Evelyn Hugo, how right there in the title, it says seven husbands, which is what the public sees and judges. But of course her great love story was actually with a woman. Then with Daisy Jones, everyone could see that she could see the sparks between Daisy and Billy and just assume that they were smashing. But of course they never do because Billy is married and committed. Then it gets really hard with Nina Riva because she is the furthest from actually wanting fame and is just really a model trying to support her family. But the way that affects her is that people just think her body is literally up for grabs. Yeah. That one got tough with that aspect. Yeah. I didn't like it. Uh, One thing I've noticed 
though, with TJR fans is they either tend to love Evelyn Hugo most and then Malibu Rising the least, or like me, they found Evelyn and Daisy just all right, but absolutely loved Malibu Rising. Which are you? So Evelyn Hugo was my first love. I fell in love with her first. Uh, the first book so, I read. Wait, so f- first you fell in love with your first love and you loved it first because it was your first love that you read the person loved first the first time you loved it. They don't know that we know that they know. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Uh, but I'm a little bit of an oddball. I like Malibu Rising after Evelyn Hugo and then Daisy Jones. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, Daisy Jones fell flat for me. Okay. Yeah. That's all. I do think it will probably translate really well on TV, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It will be phenomenal. Absolutely. So, hands down. I'm excited to see that. I'm also surprised that out of the three books that are already out, that that's the one that they are adapting first. Malibu Rising, I guess, really, I don't know. I think maybe you would need to do that second anyway. But Evelyn Hugo, that could be so good on TV or on movie. Maybe it's just almost like too much because you always chop so much out when you books to movies anyways yeah and seven husbands is a lot to fit into like what an hour and a half i mean they grazed over a couple of husbands in the book anyway in the book yeah but i don't know maybe that wouldn't translate as well for people or just make them like her less i don't know know. i'm not a movie adapter anywho (laughs) so back to just tjr because these were not her first books this little series of fame she's been exploring is there any reason you haven't broken into her backlog yet? And do you still ever plan to? It still just comes down to time. It's harder to go back than it is. To it is. Eventually I'll get around to it. So the two that you've read, did you like them? Would you recommend them at all? I would. And I need you to read them because I'm <laughs> so curious to see if you would like them. They are hard core <laughs> feeling fiction, which you love. Allegedly. Allegedly. But the interesting thing is that TJR just takes these sort of heartbreaking rhetorical questions and explores them in the two that I've read anyways. The first one I read was One True Loves. It's this huge exploration of grief and moving on after you believe your husband to be dead. It's painful and hard and just gut-wrenching. But then slowly but surely you find a way to move on rebuild your life, and even fall in love again. But then your long-lost, believed-to-be-dead husband returns, and it's just like, what do you even do? So I I enjoyed that one. I'm going to take a detour to our movie podcast for a moment. That synopsis reminds me of Castaway with Tom Hanks. Did you ever see it? I was 10 when it came out, so I saw it once, and I was like, okay, there's a volleyball. This is weird. I have no recollection of how this is related at all. Like, I don't... I remember Tom Hanks had a beard. Oh, yeah. Well, he eventually gets off the island and comes home to his wife, who has moved on, thought he was dead, and he shows up in a taxi, and it's raining, and he, like, knocks on the door, and she sees him and, like, freaks out, and then there's all these feelings, and it just, like, breaks you because... both of them are justified 
in their feelings because they were both living different realities of the same situation. And so it's just a tricky situation when you get into that, which I'm glad it doesn't happen in real life okay, very so often, as much as we know. My assumption would be that Cassway explores then more of Tom Hanks' side because it was mostly it does, about yeah. him. So now you can just read this one and get her side. Oh, okay. Understand it. All right. So let's go back to our book podcast now. <laughs> so the other one I read that was After I Do was much less far-fetched than that. And it's kind of like, what do you do when you've been with someone for so long? They were high school sweethearts in this book, I'm pretty sure. And you just become worse at communicating because you get so complicit in the relationship and you just let resentment build so high. And you kind of like, you know me so long, you should know I hate this or that. And so instead of like telling it and doing the easy fix, you just let these resentments build up. So high, you don't even like being around each other anymore. And then it's like, do you just throw away all that history? What can save the relationship? Is it even salvageable? I think because of how this one unfolded, I didn't like it as much. Because I just personally don't think my heart could handle everything these characters chose. But it did make me think. And it was pretty profound. Yeah, these seem pretty heavy. I am still <laughs> feeling fiction. <laughs> I am still interested in reading her backlogs, but I'm not really in a hurry after listening to that. Uh, so when it comes to TJR, do you prefer newer or older? A mix. Like with Chris and Hannah, I think I'm going older again. And I loved Malibu Rising. I don't love Daisy or even Evelyn as much, but I also, I just don't like that, like, celebrity scene. It just is, I don't see why people want that or think it looks cool at all. It looks terrible to me. So TJR's earlier stuff, though, I found charming and thoughtful and profound. She's like a Jodi Picot of the heart <laughs> with a bit of, of Chris and Hannah mixed in. So, of course, Jodi Picot we've talked about, she's known for exploring controversial topics and these ones aren't necessarily controversial, but they show all sides. They make you think and reconsider what you thought you might do in a certain situation. Even though I haven't read anything older than Evelyn Hugo, just based on what you shared, I would assume that I would prefer her newer works to her older ones. Uh, I love the intricate web that she has woven with these four books. I can't wait for the Easter eggs that we're going to find with Carrie Soto is back. And I can't wait to see how this quad series will be completed. You call it a quad series? What would you call? It's hardly even a series. It's like the same universe. It but is. Not. Yeah. I don't even know. I couldn't even think of like what to call it. What, but do, you, all... what do you call it? Because it's just called the Marvel Universe, right? You don't like mm -hmm. call these books or those movies the Marvel series. No, yeah, it's Marvel Universe, DC Universe. So maybe it's just the TJR Universe? I don't know. Yeah, like they don't have like a common, the but Celebrity Universe? They exist together, but they don't necessarily go together. You definitely do not need to read them all together. Yeah. They're all very much standalone. Yeah. Hmm. So, I don't know, TJR Universe. TJR Universe, that's what we could call it. You call it whatever you want to call it. But now... Now is the moment you've been waiting for. An author whom you have read the debut <laughs> and the most recent. 
I don't understand why you're laughing. Uh, you, your voices. Because <laughs> I'm theatrical? Yes. Oh, so you like my theatrics. A little. Carry on. Anyway. Katie, tell yeah. me about Stephen King. Tell me your thoughts about Carrie and Billy Summers. I know he's basically like Chris and Hannah and has almost too many books for us to even ever make a dent in. But could you say whether or not you prefer his newer works or his older stuff? Okay, so I've already mentioned Carrie a little bit. And I find these books are not able to be compared at all. Being 47 years apart is the biggest reason for me. And Stephen King has evolved as... (laughs) What? You say he's evolved, but you prefer his debut over his newer works. No. So it's like he's evolved. No, I... Hold on. Let me get there, (laughs) ma'am. Stephen King has evolved as a person and a writer. However, he still has a lot of the same qualities. He likes to shock his readers, being the biggest thing that he still likes to do. Hashtag butt stuff. (laughs) That'll shock anyone. (laughs) Another... Another big thing that contributed to his writing style was his drug and alcohol addiction in his earlier years. And I remember seeing an interview with him. I think it was on a recent episode of the news show Sunday morning. He was talking about the books that he wrote earlier in his career. And he was talking about writing Cujo. He said he doesn't even remember writing that book because he was so obliterated and trashed. And that's absolutely wild to me. That was a successful title that he can't even recall creating. And that, I'm sure is an odd feeling for him as well. So, I mean, he had a drug and alcohol problem for a while and he's been sober for a really long time now, but I definitely think that that contributed to a lot of his early writing styles because so they are different. Can you tell though, like one thing that people have talked about that I like to explore in the future with like Agatha Christie is people like talk about like pre disappearance or post disappearance. Mm -hmm. Do you think you could tell or is there any noticeable difference to you between like obliteration and sobriety for Stephen King? Like, do you think not being familiar with the timeline of his works, do you think you could read one and be like, yeah, this was definitely during his addiction days or this was like more recent and when since he's been sober is when he's written this. I don't know if it's more of the time that the books were written or if it was what he was going through. But I have noticed that a lot of his older works do refer to a lot more characters having drug and alcohol problems themselves. Um, Like Jack Torrance in The Shining, for example. Just sort of similar things that he was going going through. So I definitely feel that his writing today is a lot more fluid, I guess, and not so dreamlike. A lot of the older works are more dreamlike and more like, is this really happening kind of deal? Whereas like Billy Summers, for example, was obviously a lot different, but it was just, you knew it was happening and it was more of a narrative than it was like, what acid am I tripping reading this? Like the shining is a great example of that because through the majority of the book, you don't know if it's real or if it's caused by alcohol or if it's what the characters are actually going through. 
or if it's the house, if it's something paranormal, not the house, the hotel, if it's something paranormal, there's a lot of unknown aspects in that. He can't write dystopian. Anyways, we did a whole episode (laughs) on Billy Summers and even Stephen King in general. Two separate episodes, I should say. We pretty much concluded that Stephen King does have a book that pretty much anyone could find they like. Like, you not necessarily liking every Stephen King, but there's so many on that shelf, you can find something you will like. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, there will probably be something anyone could find a dislike. For him, I know we just kind of talked, like, sobriety versus addiction time. Do you think that liking books with that much to go through is more random? Do you think people will tend to split between older or newer stuff? I definitely think it's more random Um, because he has such a plethora of different kinds of tales. I think that that's why, honestly, it it tends to be more, more random. That's the case for me. It's very random because I like Carrie and Pet Cemetery, which were a couple of his older works, but I also enjoy 112263 and the Mr. Mercedes series. So it's just all over the place. I didn't like Billy Summers as much as I would have liked to, but I'm not going to like all of his books. I don't want to be the type of fangirl that thinks all of his works are gold just because his name is on the dust jacket. No, I want to treat him like every other author, engage the story and see if I like it or not. That's mostly fair. I could see that with Taylor Swift quote unquote (laughs) fans and how some people just do not like her country stuff and love her pop stuff. Another thing, you know, her country was great and she sold out for pop or whatever. I like stuff across the genre from her, but I don't like stuff just because she wrote it. I have like four songs by her. I do not like, and I skip four out of like 126. That's more than I would have guessed that you didn't like. So Um, now I want to bring up someone who is constantly constantly always can't get away from it just forever compared to Stephen King. And that's Nicholas Sparks. (laughs) Personally for me, I liked his older stuff way more than anything new by him. And I think this is a trend for me. I think for most of the authors I've picked older stuff, I will say it's not a blanket statement. Like with TJR, I liked Malibu rising with Nicholas Sparks. I liked his most recent book. So this isn't to bag on Nicholas Sparks at all. There came a point with Nicholas Sparks where books felt the same, like just the vibe. It feels like I've been here before. They stopped feeling fresh. Mm-hmm. I can totally see that. I've never read any Nicholas Sparks books, but that can happen with a lot of authors. I think, unfortunately, especially we've talked before and I'm not sure if we've actually talked about it on the podcast, but we've definitely talked about it together before about how they just get so busy pumping out books that that sort of authenticity almost leaves. And I've seen that happen with Stephanie Plum series by Janet Ivanovich and Jack Reacher series by Lee Child. Even though I love both of those series and they can sometimes be repetitive. So if you're not in the mood for that, I think it can affect your opinion on what you think of the overall book. But personally, that's why I think that Stephen King is a supreme ruler of the book world because he has such a range of different types of stories that none of them have ever felt repetitive to me. Yes. Fucking yes. And that is why I was so offended earlier and felt personally attacked. 
<sighs> Listeners, this is like, you will not believe what Katie said to me oh, earlier. Lord. Ooh, she told me she had the audacity to say to me, I listen to the same shit all the time <laughs> because I pretty much only listen to Taylor Swift. Like, no, bitch. I listen to Pop Taylor and Country Taylor and Reputation Taylor and Lover Taylor. There are so many vibes, so many genres. It is not the same. There is so much range. The deer and the buffalo feel at home there. Okay? Like, just stop. Don't be a bully. My soapbox is now Uh, over. Back to Stephen King. Oh, my God. You snuck that in there. (laughs) I did. (laughs) (laughs) Even plot-specific twists aside, do you ever feel like Stephen King and his shock value gets too recycled? And it's like, yeah, we get it. You love to put (laughs) blenders in rapist butts. Let's move on. (laughs) Once again, it depends on the book. Like we talked about in the Billy Summers episode last year, I thought it was a bit too much. But the majority of the time, it's not. Okay. Yeah. It, it's book specific. <laughs> That's that fair. Billy Summers was, I feel like, an asterisk. <laughs> okay. That's fair. I have one more final question. Yeah. Would you rather only ever read debuts or only establish authors for the rest of your life? Uh, that is a ridiculously hard question. As much as I love debuts, I would stick with established authors. The number of shit debuts I've read far outweighs the amazing ones. What about you? I would go with established because, except for one and dones, they'd all be considered established eventually so I could read them all. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. 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 I, I, I go with your answer then. <laughs> Change my answer. That's fair. We hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of the Lost Chill Podcast. Please help our podcast to reach more listeners by subscribing and leaving a review. We read every single one together and jump up and down, screaming with glee every single time. So you know we just truly appreciate it. And that is a true story, folks. (laughs) It's very true. If you can't get enough of the Lost Chill podcast, check out our website, thelostchill.com, for blog posts and more fun. Also, consider becoming a Patreon supporter for exclusive content and swag. We are constantly improving and growing our offerings, so be sure to check back often. If it's additional reviews and cute puppies that you're after, follow us on Instagram at Katie's Lost Chill and at Kimmy's Lost Chill. Follow The Lost Chill as well to get all of the latest information on upcoming books to be featured, upcoming author chats, giveaways, and so much more. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Bye. Aww.